Hi friends, it's Jamie and it's the Real Mom Podcast and I've got a great one for you today. I got to know and I'm getting to share with you Ashley Island, teacher, mom of three, adoptive mom, author of the recent book, Humankind, and just such a gift. She is so wise and so steeped in scripture that everything she speaks relating to kindness and adoption and we jump into race and we jump into what it looks like to come with understanding and uh, talk about birth families and it was just across the board um, covered in grace and kindness and that is who she is. I had such a great time talking to her and I know you're going to love hearing her. This is my conversation with Ashley Island. Today, I'm talking to Ashley Island. Ashley, I'm so excited to get to know you. I've been following along with you for a while and really just reached out and said, I want to know you and I want to hear from you. So will you come be on the podcast? So thanks for being here today. Jamie, thanks for having me. It's the feeling is mutual. I love what you do and how you're encouraging so many people. So thank you for the invite. Oh, I appreciate it. We are both living in this like alternate reality right now, right? Yes. It is a little, the word that I'm using a lot is strange. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I can't keep up with all of the new developments and I I can't really grasp what I'm dealing with right now, (laughs) like the magnitude of what we're dealing with in this new reality. And so I feel like I'm constantly playing catch up, but trying to take it a day at a time. Yeah. Yep. I feel the same way. Absolutely. And you are home with your husband and kids right now, right? Yes. If you hear any banging <laughs> on the walls, it's probably my my son. We have three kids. Yeah. So introduce us to your family and sure. just how they came to be a part of your family. Yeah. So my husband and I, we've been married for almost seven years. We met at church eight years ago. And he is an amazing man. He's a worship pastor and we get to do ministry together now, which is rare and quite the gift. That's awesome. We're together all the time, especially now that we're living in a quarantine time. (laughs) So even more so. Yeah. The working together just went to a whole new level. A whole new level. Let (laughs) me tell you. And we have three kids. Our oldest, Brooklyn, she is five and I call her the CEO of our family. Nice. If Dylan and I are the board of directors, she's definitely running all the things. You got to love that strong little girl. Yeah, she is. She's a strong leader in our family. And then Miles is four. He is naturally funny, has all the energy in the world, and is zero to 60 nonstop all day, every day. That's just who he is. And That's the second it. child thing. I have, and the second son thing. My yes. oldest daughter is CEO. My second son is zero to 60 and way just too much. All the time. Yes, yeah. all the time. And then our youngest, we just brought her home last year. Her name is Journey, and she is almost 17 months now. And she's just fit right in. She is joy embodied. I mean, always has a smile on her face, is always laughing, has the best belly laugh ever. Love it. And she's, I call her our Zen baby. If the other two have these really dynamic, demonstrative personalities, she kind of pulls us all together and is our yoga instructor. That's who she is. Here's what you have to do is stop (laughs) because you have your CEO, you have your wild child, and then you have your like wrap us all together. Where we went wrong is that we kept going and it's just, then nobody fits in any spaces and everyone fights over the roles and it gets the mess. (laughs) Yeah. If my husband is listening, he's probably doing a happy dance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was good at two. So here we are with our bonus baby and (laughs) he's good. He's good to go. All right. So this podcast, we talk a lot about foster care and adoption. We talk a lot about just motherhood and following Jesus. And But can you delve in a little bit more to the story of bringing your daughter home and sure, even just the where your heart was in pursuing adoption? Sure. I would love to do that. This Our, our journey with adoption starts six weeks after Miles was born. Okay. And I was sitting in the new mother's room at our church at the time. And I think it was Mother's Day or shortly thereafter. So it was, I mean, he was fresh out the oven. And I'm sitting there and I remember it was Christine Kane who was giving the message at the time. 
And as she was talking, I just, I heard this discernible whisper from the Holy Spirit and it was three words, you're not done. Mm. And my first reaction was, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Give me six weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Because surely I knew by that time, I felt like I knew God's voice. And so it was this excitement that rose up in me, but it was also this, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? And I hadn't even told anyone that this was on my heart like this. I'd always wanted to form a family through adoption. Ever since I was little, I remember telling my mother, mom, I'd like to adopt a baby from every continent. I just, there's something about the way that God creates us. And I Mm. wanted his fingerprint all over my family. That just was in me from since I was little. So we had our first two biological babies back to back. They're 13 months apart. And I figured, well, maybe this isn't happening, Dolan. You know, we were content with our two kids and Miles comes along and I just felt like this was a call. There was a call to adoption. It wasn't just just a desire, but it wasn't just me either. So there we began this conversation as a couple. With those times where the one person has the call and the other person, that's like, right. I didn't get that call, and I will, I will admit, I was the pusher. Yeah, I, I would see. I even remember there being like an advertisement for an adoption agency on a fast food cup, and I would like spin it just so my husband could see the advertisement. <laughs> and I mean, I was kind of ridiculous. And then finally, after so much, you know, bringing this up and feeling like I truly was pushing. I just said to God, I remember one morning in prayer, I said, either take this desire away from me, Lord, or Mm. would you give my husband the same desire? Right. We can't do it any other way. Right, right. And so there began this really long journey for him. So yeah, that was the point at at which Delwyn had to really decide for himself in his own process with the Lord, whether this was something we were going to do or not. And it was so cool seeing him go through this process on his own, because I just really didn't have anything else to say. I trusted God to lead us. And I remember it was one week where three things happened, where he finally got to the end of the week and he said, okay, I'm ready. And I actually didn't know what he was talking about. It had been that long. Mm. When we were sitting in bed. I remember I was playing words with friends. He says, okay, I'm ready. And I promise you, Jamie, I had no idea what he was talking about. It shows how deeply you had released it to the Lord and entrusted God to do it in his heart. Exactly. It was a deep release. And he said, set up the meeting. Let's pursue this. And so we chose an agency that we really felt honored, birth mothers um, and really everyone a part of the adoption circle. And that was important to me. We pursued an open adoption. and we were expecting the timeline to be pretty long. I mean, all of our friends who had kind of walked this with us and were praying for us just kind of set us up to be really, really patient. Yeah, yeah. It took a year. It took a a long year of paperwork. Um, We chose to go with a domestic adoption, a long year of paperwork, fingerprinting the whole nine. And then we got to the point where we had to fill out that little sheet where you had to decide- Yes. And I, we bathed that baby in prayer twice, Mm. just, Mm. just soaked it in prayer because we didn't want our growing family to be a result of our own desires apart from the Lord. We wanted him to form our family. And so we made our decisions. We made some decisions based on our own children, our two oldest that had already been with us for a while. And we made some decisions with wise counsel from our doctors And then we waited. So we go on the wait list and 33 days later, wow, there is a baby in our house. We do not have time to talk about all the ups and downs of what those, those days were like. But I will just say that on paper, we were not supposed to welcome her into our home Mm. because of the check boxes. But she is exactly who we were meant to add to our family. And she does have some significant health complications that we are navigating in a new way as a family, but she is teaching us. Hmm. We, we are, are better as a family because she's in it. Hmm. 
we are holding the tension as so many of us are of the foster and adoption story of honoring her first family while also welcoming her into a new home. And so, especially now that she's, you know, almost a year and a half old, we're taking this a season at a time and it's been hard in in some moments and really, really fulfilling overall. And we just love her so, so much. And that will be your story through every step of this as it is through marriage and being part of a church and following God. Like this is life of a believer. It's, there yes. are sweet things and blessings from him. And then times that are just so hard and heartbreaking and confusing. And so why do we expect it to be any different? Because we checked boxes. Exactly. It's all formation. Yeah. It's all formation if we choose to let it be that and to not, you know, I, I believe that there's some good in wrestling with God. I mean, asking questions and being honest before him. Yeah. Before him and to him. Love exactly with him. Right. Right. uh, Versus apart from him. And I feel like adoption's given us the opportunity to do that and to be more fully formed into to Jesus because of that. And so, yeah, it's not just us growing our family. Obviously we wanted that to happen. Yeah. But we truly believe that our family being formed by adoption is, is holy and it's hard. And now I understand when I read in the scriptures that we are the adopted sons and daughters mm. of God, that means something new to me now. And I almost can't read those passages without weeping because yeah, yeah. I, I understand my love for her and how that unlocks a new kind of receptivity to God's love for me. It's really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny, we adopted how many years ago at this point? I think four years ago. And what I have found myself on is the roller coaster a bit of what you shared a minute ago of honoring their birth family and then also rejoicing in this family that was formed. And so what you're sharing of how adoption has given you a new view of scripture, I've actually over the past couple of years had to go back to that and yes. allow scripture to redefine my understanding of adoption as well, because That's so good. the longer you're in this and the deeper that you're in it, the more the brokenness of all of it is just so prevalent. And you have to reorient to the fact what you said, this is holy and hard because it is inherently holy because our adoption as God's children is holy, which means that there is a sacredness to this thing, even though it's born in brokenness, just as our adoption is, that we rejoice in that. And so good. Yeah, this is a constant just reorienting our hearts to what God says about stuff and what God Mm -hmm. says about adoption. But thank you for sharing that. I love, and I love you know, you go in checking your boxes and expecting a timeline and then 33 days. Yes. I mean, we just weren't even ready. I remember leaving my, my work at lunchtime and I just called my husband preemptively to apologize. I said, I'm going to home goods. Do not look at the bill. (laughs) Just know that time to prepare and to nest. And over time, that was, that was not a little bit of money. I mean, to prepare for a baby to come home. And this was just in one hour. Yeah, we yeah, had yeah. To get all the things for a nursery, and so you know what? He just said, "Bless it, Lord." Oh, yeah. He'll. <laughs> I just got so many stares in that store That's for great. all the things that I was purchasing. It was it was a whirlwind, but you know, yeah, it is our story, and we wouldn't trade it for anything else. I love it. That's awesome. So, what is it like being home with these three and your husband all the time now? <laughs> It is, it is constant surrender, Mm. constant surrender. And I never know when I wake up, if I'm going to feel like I've had some of the most meaningful and connected moments with my family. So true. Or some of the most frustrating, I can't even do this anymore type experience in that 24 hours. And so it's kind of a, it's like rolling the dice a little bit when I hear that first kid thud out of the bed. I mean, he is a brontosaurus 
and he does not know how to tiptoe or use a soft voice. And so I just know it's him. Yeah. And we're off to the races. The and you're like, it's on. It's on. And we both serve the church full time. And so to try and stay connected to our community here in Grand Rapids while also needing to be so attentive to what our kids right. need at home, it feels like a constant tug of war. And so I'm trying to truly surrender almost by the minute what my design was for the day versus being invited into whatever the moment is offering me. If it's a moment to teach my kids something, then I'm trying to say yes to that. If it's a moment to rest, I'm trying to say yes to that. If it's to be creative, I'm trying to say yes to that. I'm just trying to say yes to whatever the moment's bringing versus trying to force fit the day into my plan because it just does not work when I try and do it that way. Yeah. And there's a bit of like fast paced learning of this, that you're not easing into this. You didn't choose to homeschool and be, you know, and overnight it's okay. This is a new reality, figure it out. And it just takes weeks to figure out new realities. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, we've had multiple extensions in our state for the stay at home order. And so to think, okay, it might be coming to an end and now we're re-upping. It's, it's as if the Lord is saying, okay, settle in. Yeah. Like I'm not done. I'm not done with this version of what your family life is like. So I'm I'm trying to say yes, Lord, to that. And it's just very hard. (laughs) It's so hard. But it's also so good. It's also so, so good. So there's another thing, releasing a book in this. I mean, this was not your plan, I'm sure, for releasing this book. No, it was not, my friend, at all. And I would not suggest releasing anything that you love in the midst of a pandemic. I just don't, if you can help it. But it's, so I actually think, Releasing a book in the middle of this is also teaching me just even more about what it means to create something for someone else Hmm. and create something that you really, really care about and to just trust that whoever needs it for such a time as this, that will be enough. And I I don't know how else to say that other than like there was no launch party. There was no you know, book tour. There was none, all of that got squashed yeah, and canceled. And I just remember it wasn't too long ago sitting there going, wait, then why did I write this? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and having to wrestle with the why all over again in a really new, fresh way and having to ask God, okay, so did I hear you incorrectly? Hmm. Did I was I off on this one? And to find such solace and joy in receiving his answer of, I don't make mistakes. Hmm. Um, And that's so true. I mean, for such a time as this, we say in this like victorious way, but for such a time as this is only said in these hard moments where you wouldn't have planned it this way. And yet God planned it for such a time as this. That is the heart of this. Not that it was like, yes, this was the perfect timing, but like, exactly. oh, actually this was the perfect timing and having to fight to get there instead of just easily believing it right away. Yes. And it's reframing. It's saying, okay, what might this season offer that yeah. our past one didn't? I mean, some people, not everybody, some people have more time to really take a deeper look at who they are and who they want to be right now to what's bubbling up to the surface to what our real idols are, especially as moms um, and what we turn to for comfort. Right. It's all coming to the surface when we can't turn to anything else. Our knee jerk reactions, the things that we're turning to, those will expose themselves. And what better time than to bring all of those to the foot of the cross And to pray that prayer, search me and know me, Hmm. (laughs) see if there's any offensive way in me and, and lead me into life everlasting. Like that's what this season for me, at least is an opportunity to do, even in the midst of those of us who are creatives and feel like in our purview, this was the worst time. Yeah. Maybe, (laughs) maybe it's a really good time to to something different And what's interesting is that kindness is something that's being talked about and celebrated all over the place right now. So give me your elevator pitch for 
this is what this book is and this is why you know you need it yeah this book was thought of two years ago and it was really a reaction to not what people were thinking or saying but how people were engaging Hmm. and being from texas having gone to school in los angeles i had collected this really wide scope of friends and people I cared about who believed everything under the sun. Right, right. And I just had such empathy for really our humanity. And it felt like it was under attack in the way that we were talking to one another and the ways that we were engaging, especially online and social media. And I just had this thought, what if the call, especially as we approach this year being an election year, What if the call is to reintroduce people to the spiritual fruit of kindness? Hmm. That was God's idea. I think sometimes we think of kindness and we think of it as a nice gesture. Right. Niceness. It's niceness. Right. I call it the Mr. Rogers of of the spiritual fruit. (laughs) It's, and it is, it can be, but I think it's more powerful than that. Because it was God's idea. And if it's a fruit of the spirit, then with it comes power and comes transformational possibility. And I think we have misbranded kindness. I think we've said, you know what? It's cool to be kind. You know, it's great to be kind to your neighbors, to let someone in in front of you if you're in traffic, but I don't think we've tapped into the full transformational power of it Mm. because we've been operating out of our power and not joining it to God's. Mm. And if we can, if we can reawaken ourselves to who he is as a kind God, receive kindness for ourselves, be kind to ourselves again, and then missionally take kindness into the world, I think we have a different society. Wow, that is so good. That is so powerful. So tell me what it looks like to apply true, you know, God-empowered, Christ-like kindness in our families and in our homes. Yes. It starts with knowing God is kind. And I chose to write this book through a collection of short narratives and stories from my own life. I did not initially set out to write the book this way. It's more memoir style than anything else. But I said, I think what we've lost is the art and the holiness of our stories. And if we are going to walk out kindness, especially now, Hmm. when we see division all around us, we have to recapture the holiness of each other's stories again. And so in our family, some of us are holding on to stories in our families that we won't pick up because they're too painful. Hmm. We won't look at them anymore because we feel like they've been dealt with, but they actually haven't been dealt with. They've just been swept under the rug. And so some of us are holding those stories individually, and some of us are holding them collectively in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships with our siblings. The invitation first, in order to be truly kind, to allow that kind of power to light up our lives, we have to be willing to tell the truth about our stories. Yeah. And so... Step number one is tell the truth about what's formed us. So in this book, it's not just all about all the kind things that have ever happened to me or all the kind things that I've done. There's some really painful stories in this book. But what I'm trying to help people step into is the fact that God's kindness transcends even the most painful parts of our stories. And if we can look at how we've been formed throughout our lives, that gives us an empathy not just for ourselves, but for each other, that can then send us out in a new way. Oh man, that is so good. So it's walking out truth telling, but it's also re-engaging the art of listening again and really being drawn to empathy and seeing what our common thread of humanity looks like again. All right. So there are, are two things that I want to narrow in on that I hope you're okay with. Sure. <laughs> One Let's- is is really just what you were talking about with empathy and our stories really building compassion for others. And you hinted before at having compassion on our kids' birth families and all of that. And so what does it look like for you? Because this is a battle and, 
and you're newer to the battle with, you know, 17 months in, what does it look like for you to literally practice what you preach in this way, in the way that you're considering your daughter's family, first yeah. family? Sure. It's tough right now yeah. because in order to engage a relational type of kindness, you have to leave room for someone else to make a choice to engage with you or not. Absolutely. And that's where I want to hear what you have to say, because I yes. think what we can do is call kindness actions. Yes. You just hit it when you said relational kind of kindness. Yes. So for us right now, it's leaving the door open yeah. for conversation and waiting patiently yep. for when her birth family is ready. And it's praying for mm. her birth family mm-hmm. and believing that even if they may not know what we're praying for or how we're contending on their behalf, that we actually Mm. believe that's more powerful than we can offer them out of our human selves. Yes. I believe that. It says so much about what we believe about prayer. When we kind of go, well, yeah, I'm praying, but like, no, no, no. It's not even, they don't need to know we're praying. They don't need, this is, there's power in going to God on someone else's behalf. And it is the most loving thing that I can do. Absolutely. I am praying, period. That should hold so much power. Right. And so it's complicated because kindness right now looks like waiting. Hmm. Kindness and and waiting can be really painful. It can also be a really formational action. I think waiting is an action. You can wait well or you can wait really poorly. Right. And so... (laughs) Yeah, we, I mean, at the very beginning, we offered as many points of contact as we could through our agency to say, no, we want this to be an open relationship. And I had dreams in my head of what holidays would look like and what an expanded perspective of family could look like. Mm -hmm. And those just aren't realized right now. And I have to suspend judgment. I think that's a part of the action of kindness too, is suspending. Yeah what I think might be true of the other person in order to entrust them to God Hmm. and to say, just as I believe he has been kind to me in my story and he is fighting and protecting on my behalf. I believe that about how God is pursuing that person too. And so, yeah, it's again, a letting go. Sometimes kindness is letting go and sometimes kindness is being willing to leave it as that until a different part of the story resumes. But there is a place for kindness and for love. And it's not limited just to the action that we would typically limit it to, like prayer and entrusting them to God and all like that can be the kind, the kind action right now. And those are actions. Sure. And I can choose to be kind in how I talk about during this birth family. That's so good. And we know we need to talk to our kids that way. We know we need to talk to our kids with respect for their parents. But what about to our spouse when we're upset or our friends or, yeah. Yes. I can choose to represent and honor her birth mom in every single conversation that I have. Yes. I can choose that. That's a really kind thing to do. And it's so that when, when and if a day does come, when I'm engaging with that person, either face-to-face or in a more proximate way, I can with honesty and with a lot of integrity say, I've tried my very best Mm -hmm. in everything that I've done and how I've talked about this relationship and how I've tried to honor the sacrifices and the hard decisions that you've made to uplift you and Mm. to honor you and to represent you well. That's Mm how we choose to talk about people when they're not around <laughs> is a decision we can make on, in, on behalf of kindness as well. So good. Yeah. All right. So another thing I want to hone in on, and you know, you talked about sharing stories, you talked about painful stories and just the reality of me as a white woman talking to you as a black woman, what does that, I mean, where does the conversation of kindness come into play just in our dynamics as sisters in Christ who have so much in common and such unity. Mm-hmm. And then also these pieces that we may not understand each other's perspective and each other's experiences. 
That's so good. There's actually a chapter in the book where I talk about a woman who babysat me a lot. She was a white woman who, I mean, I felt like I was a part of her family. Mm. (laughs) Her kids were my older siblings in a way. And I talk about learning from her and being shaped and formed by her and also coming to the realization that there's just something she couldn't teach me Hmm. about being a black woman in America. She just couldn't. And that was no fault of her own. I don't hold that against her. I honor her. Right. And so in our, in our relationship as sisters, for those of us who are listening and we find ourselves in newly forming relationships with people who are different from us racially or culturally in some other way, there has to be space for both learning and leaning in and an openness to experiences we have not had, but staying away from shame, Hmm. stepping into shame ourselves for saying like, oh, why didn't I know that? Or beating ourselves up unnecessarily for the things that we just do not know or for putting shame on someone else for not understanding or stepping into the arena very bravely, very courageously, just not having all, just not being able to, to meet us where we're at all the time. That's okay. And so, yeah, as a black woman, I have a Marco Polo group with three of my best friends from Chicagoland. And it's so interesting to me how they know that they can show up for me without me having to ask them to, because of something they've seen that's racially charged in the news or online Hmm. or whatever. They know that that's going to impact me, but they also know that they can't prescribe me a quick fix. Right. They don't have that much to speak to it. They can come with love. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yes. They can come with love and they can hold it with me. Yes. And, and to say that is enough. We don't have to try and overfix each other. We can see how God has given each other his image and likeness to say yes and amen to those things and to also release each other in the context of relationship to say, there will just be some things that I don't understand. Hmm. And that is okay. I will hold these things with you. I will ask for wisdom and discernment and understanding to be shaped and formed by them in order to enter into more grace and more truth. But I think we need to be really I want to use the word kind and I mean it. We need to be yeah. kind to yeah. where we are on our journeys, you know, and to have some some increased empathy for that because not all of us are coming from the same backgrounds or family situations to know what the other person needs immediately. We're going to have to do yeah. that in relationship. So I almost feel like from your perspective, you are sharing. I mean, you are sharing. You're sharing as a, a black woman and the way that you need to be basically patient with others who may not fully understand. Is there a way that you think you can speak more directly to white women? Does that make sense? Like not just sure. from, from the, that compassionate perspective that you're having of how maybe a black woman can be more compassionate to the white women who don't understand, but what about the responsibility or, you know, that a white woman would have in, in her part of this story. Yeah. Here's, we have to know our history. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember one of my girlfriends was sitting next to me in a meeting at a previous job and the idea of something we were creating needing to be equally represented in race and gender came up and she just wrote in my planner you don't have to carry this alone. Hmm. And so it is not your black friend's responsibility to educate you on all the things about black people. Because one, the experience of blacks in America is so varied and diverse. I mean, I could talk about coming from Texas and the Southern civil rights struggle. I can talk about LA and the riots out West. I can talk about just so many different experiences from the black community. They're not all the same. I mean, and so to have these conversations in the context of relationship, but to also say there is beauty and honor in showing your friends who are people of color that you are doing the work to know the history of that people group in our country. 
And of course, like, yes, so many people can point others to really great resources, but in any relationship, I feel like the best relationships are defined by commitment Hmm. and commitment requires some level of proactivity and and showing up. That's so good. I don't just go to my husband and say, what do you need from me? What do you need me to, I also am doing my own work. I'm going to the Lord. I'm spending time in his word. I'm going to prayer. Like there's this part of me fighting for that on my own and not just going to someone else for it. I love that you just shared that. Cause I think an important part of the narrative is that in relationship, we learn and we ask questions and we can dive into awkward conversations and all of that. But I love what you just shared. It cannot be every black friend's responsibility to educate white people on the history of this country and how we should feel and how, you know, it's, I love that. Yeah. And to understand when we talk about compassion and justice and social justice, I'm taking my cues from how Jesus went straight to the oh, source. So good. And like, he didn't wait for Samaria to come to him. He yes. went to Samaria. That's our Lord. And he's teaching us. There's nothing new that we have to learn. All we have to turn to is the gospels and do it the way Jesus did it. That how he doled out dignity and he just, he gave himself away and he called people out on the carpet. And he said, you know what? I know you better than you know yourself. And yet I'm everything you need. I am beyond everything. We have a perfect blueprint in him. And if, you know, like I have some friends who are doing really good, hard, truth-telling work, anti-racism work. And sometimes people ask, well, are you doing that same work? One, I'm living it. (laughs) I'm living, I'm living it. So yes, I'm doing the work. (laughs) But in terms of, but in terms of ministry and mission, my call is to re-engage what the spirit has given us in terms of a strength beyond ourselves. We have been empowered to do this hard work. We don't have to do it on our own, out of our own power. We're not that helpless. We've got the power of the Holy spirit within us to lean in, to see the truth. If we so choose, I mean, so many times scripture says for those who have eyes to see, or those who have ears to hear, let them hear. We have to decide if we have those ears yeah. and those eyes. Yeah. And if we don't, then we won't see and we won't hear. But if we do, I trust that the, the good, transformative, healing, restorative, redemptive work of justice and compassion and stitching our society back together mm-hmm. can actually happen. I'm, I'm just that potentially foolish to believe <laughs> that this can happen. Yeah. I mean, foolish slash faith-filled have a big enough view of who our God is. Right. That, that is his heart. All those words you just strung together, those are his heart for us in the family, in yes. the church, yes. the society. So I love what you just shared just with faith, forget about the, how things look to us or faith mm-hmm. in humanity. We're not talking that we're talking about how big God is and how yes. he's committed to his glory. And yeah, that's, that's what's right. going to happen. One of the last things Jesus prayed, John 17, he prayed for our unity. Hmm. So he wouldn't have prayed for it if he didn't feel like it could actually be realized. And I'm just, you know, I know some folks walking in the desert, the children of Israel didn't see the promised land. They didn't. Hmm. Like they were a part of the faith story that they didn't get to see. I hope that our generation is a part of the generation that gets to see. And I'm also humbly resigned to the fact that th- that might not be our generation. That might yeah. be for our kids. Yeah. But gosh darn it, I'm going to do the work. <laughs> like I'm yeah. going to show up anyway, regardless of what the outcome is, because I feel like we've been empowered and given tools and resources beyond our, what we can do on our own. And I truly do think people are doing some amazing work and we have to respect that what one part of the body is given mission for the other part of the body comes alongside and supplements. We are doing this together. Yeah. I mean, that's what we always talk about with orphan care too. Yeah. We're all called to it. It's just how we're called to it. Are you called at the front lines or are you called to support in some way to pray, to make meals, you know, but we're all called to this. Um, But more than that, God is committed to it. And that's that's really what our faith is in. Well, I'm excited. We're going to be giving away one of your books. 
And Ooh. I just hope everyone reads it because I love your heart and I love the way that you speak to specific topics with that covering of this empowered kindness, this gospel empowered Christ centered. I love that. So, all right, I want to switch gears a little bit and just talk about you. I want to know what are you doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to? So, Ashley, what are you doing these days? <laughs> okay, so a little over, a little under two years ago, I started doing CrossFit, Jamie. Oh, you're a CrossFit person. Yeah, okay. Yes, I see this is a fine line because when <laughs> when does one really become a CrossFit person? I'm not saying I do it well, but I was <laughs> I was in a really stressful season and I guess my one response to how to healthily handle stress was to throw myself yeah. into the most extreme form of fitness that I <laughs> find and it just accidentally stuck. Yeah. So and I, you've been yeah. doing it for two years. My goodness, it did Almost stick. two years. Wow. It stuck. So I would and say the answer to what makes someone a CrossFit person is how often do you tell people that you do CrossFit? <laughs> That's the answer to that question. Well, these days, not much because I'm not really talking to yeah. anyone else. But, but yeah, I do, I do talk about I have mentioned it in a sermon. <laughs> I have talked about CrossFit in a sermon. So you got me there. So I you're mean, a CrossFit guilty, person. Yeah. Guilty is charged, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I get, well, now that you mention it for my last birthday, I did ask for like new CrossFit shoes. So yeah, I'm a CrossFitter. <laughs> that's all right. Own it. That's who you are. Yeah, that's, that's what good. I'm doing. But we're also doing like family wise nowadays. Our, our days are spent like going on family walks. Yeah. We are trying to figure out ways to be more inventive and creative in our togetherness. I love baking. We are baking a lot. Like when I say a lot, I mean, it, it counterbalances the CrossFit. So you may not see an actual. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right. Well, you then that, not... leads, that leads yeah. into the next question. What are you eating? Are you eating all your baking? I, I was really hoping that we would only talk about desserts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So we're not talking about main courses. I'm trying to drink a lot of water, but I, we are baking so many things. I, right now I'm going through both Magnolia table cookbooks. So volume, oh my. volume two has just dropped and I promised my daughter we'd make the French silk pie this afternoon. So that's, that's what's going down in our home. And it's to the point where I'm so tired of sugar that I'm just giving it away. So <laughs> the last thing I, I made was the chocolate chip cookies and gave those to two different families because I just can't keep all of these sweets. I just can't keep eating all the things. <laughs> no. And my son doesn't eat sweets. He's not a big desserts person. So it's really just my daughter and me. And so you have a, a recipe for 44 cookies, Jamie. <laughs> 44. <laughs> <laughs> and you divide that by two and you've yeah. got... <laughs> Too many cookies. So even too many for for quarantine self. <laughs> that's right. So we are we are trying to bless our neighbors with the confections. That's and great. And it's been fun. Nice. All right. What are you reading? Oh my gosh. I am my friend Leslie calls this term literary polygamy. I am I reading, have it. Whatever you're talking, <laughs> I have it. <laughs> I am a polygamist. Yes. So I'm reading Domestic Monastery by Ronald Wolheiser. Okay. We're just finished reading. I love this book one because it's super short. And right now I don't have a, a ton of time to get through the thick ones. I read it in two days and it was just talking about how we can recapture our home as this place of formation mm. and like just how perfect for, yeah, for this, time. this moment. And then I also just finished Daniel Strickland's Better Together talking about how women and men can work together for kingdom purposes, which I think it is so time for a book like hers. And she's a mentor and friend of mine. And I absolutely just loved it. Currently I'm reading Jenny Allen's Get Out of Your Head. Yeah, me too. Which, yeah, so good. I think I love that her work is marrying really good science and psychology yes. with with deep spirituality. It's hard to find a book like that, but I, I think agree. And I think that job. that book and that perspective is specifically important for foster and adoptive moms or anyone who's parenting a child with trauma or special needs. We have to hold theology and biology really yes. closely together. Yes. And it's just a fun, re I feel like she's a great storyteller. Oh, and it's, yeah. I mean, 
come on. And then I'm also reading. So Joe Saxon just released a book called ready to rise Mm. um, and talking about just how to stop apologizing as women for the things Mm. that we've been called to do. I think Mm. he's just cutting right to the meat of a lot of, yeah, what my friends and I are struggling with and working through and being formed in, which is really beautiful. And then also reading Women Rowing North by Mary Pfeiffer. Oh, I don't know that. Um, she writes this. It's actually, it's interesting. I read this to help understand my mom better. Okay. <laughs> so the subtitle is Navigating Life's Currents and Flourishing as We Age. So it's a book on aging. And I just feel like it's helping me build such empathy for my mom who... Mm took care of her mother as an only child until she passed away. And she's currently taking care of my dad who has been medically compromised since I was in high school. And so I I feel like I'm just understanding her on a different level. And I feel like I'm studying up for, you know, entering into Mm. the second half of life in a way. So it's, I'm reading a lot. (laughs) Well, and you have to, because like you just, we're called to all these different things. And so I just feel like, oh, this book speaks to this part and this book. Yeah. I I'm in, you know, five books a day and one, it might just be two pages, but. Exactly. And because, I mean, as someone who works and has full-time vocation in the church, I'm always trying to read perspectives theologically. And so I'm pretty much always reading something in the theology sphere. Yeah. But also it's really important for me to stay connected to my work as a mom. And so I'm, yeah, I'm reading yeah. books from women. And so yes, I'm all over the place and yep. I feel like in the best way. In the best way. <laughs> I love it. All right. What are you watching? What's your quarantine binge? <laughs> okay. okay. So it was this is us. Okay. Until this is us was no more and we have to wait for forever for the next season. I this is going to be a little unconventional. I love popping in on people's Instagram lives right now. <laughs> okay. Like I know a lot of people are really annoyed by yeah, the fact people are hating that on them. <laughs> I so this is this is a different perspective here. I feel like more than ever I'm more interested in what people are doing yeah. in this space, like yeah, what they're yeah. creating, what they're talking about, what's important to them right now. And so I mean, I might be a little bit of a serial creeper when it comes to people's Instagram lives, but (laughs) it's fun to pop in and especially people I really love and respect in terms of their perspectives or their work. Yeah. I feel like that's what I'm doing all the time. Just learning and, and truly, you know, last night I watched a a pastor go live with a psychologist and I just learned so much about anxiety, Mm. depression, and trauma in this moment. I was like, yeah, it was 20 minutes, but that was so rich and good. And so so, you're using your you're watching even better than just Netflix binging. Since when did Instagram become more productive? But it has it has, has. I guess. And like every now and again like my husband and I will watch like a documentary or like we don't binge watch a ton. Yeah. But there've been a couple of documentaries on Hulu. Like I'm watching, I'm only like maybe a couple episodes in on Little Fires Everywhere. Um, I'm reading it. It's good. I, read I can't that. watch it yet because I'm reading it. I know. It. So I want no spoiler alerts here. Yeah. So yeah. I'm taking that one slow. And then there is a documentary called Free Solo. Oh my gosh. I could care less about climbing. And like four seconds in, I was like, I cannot sit down. I couldn't just not look away. It is so good. I think the guy's name is Alex Honnold. And I'm like, my son is going to be you. Yes, my son too. (laughs) Just like, don't call me. Just tell me when it's over. (laughs) You're you're preparing for the future. So I love a good documentary. I love, love, love documentaries. Good. Okay. What are you listening to? Listening to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. So one that I've I've really loved recently was with Annie F. Downs and John Tyson. Mm, I love talking, her. Uh, so do I. But it, she was talking with him about spiritual revival and renewal and the type of prayer that this moment is requiring mm. of us. I think a lot of us are really used to intercessory prayer, but they go into talk, talking about contending for the flourishing of our cities, for our families, for our church. And it just, 
reawakened something in me. I mean, they went so deep to talk about repentance and Mm. the importance of repentance as a discipline. So that was a really good one. There is a series on Mr. Rogers that, I mean, just anything about his life, I feel like I'm really into right now. It's called Finding Fred. Okay. That whole series has been really good. Yeah. So yeah, anything from Crystal Evans Hurst. I just, I, I really love podcasts. I'm going back and watching a couple of old TED Talks. Just like the ones that now are, have kind of stood the test of time. Yeah. Um, like the retro vintage Brene Browns. Oh, uh, yeah. Learning things from years ago and trying yeah. to learn new things from them. So, so yeah. I have a whole watch and listen and read list now. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Good. So and if, it's, if it's too much, I hope some people are stressing out right now going like, can this girl just stop talking? Yeah. I mean, I like, <laughs> I love, if you're familiar with Enneagram, I'm a wing five. And so I love information. A what, a what wing five? I'm a six wing five. Okay. Counterphobic six. Okay. Which means I, some people think I'm an eight, which is fine. Yeah. Eights, I, eights are great. My husband's one. Is, he yeah, okay. an eight. yeah. All right. Well, Ashley, this has been just such a great conversation. I love your perspective. I am excited for everyone to get their hands on humankind and read that book and learn and grow from it because you really just have such wisdom from the Lord that applies in such a real and meaningful way to us right now. So do me a favor, tell everyone where they can find you. I am mostly on Instagram and Twitter at Ashley underscore Island. Or anything that I'm up to is on my website, ashleyisland.com. Awesome. Well, we'll share that. And I'm excited to give away a book. And I'm just so grateful for this, this time together. And thanks so much for sharing with me today. Jamie, you're amazing. Thanks for all the conversations you invite us into. And I just hope the rest of your quarantine, however long it lasts, <laughs> is joy-filled and fruitful in some way. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. You can find us online, www.realmompodcast.com or on iTunes and subscribe. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmompodcast or Instagram at realmompodcast. Thanks so much for listening. His praises to my King, you are the light.